Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It is Nick here, and welcome to this week's show. So I'm delighted to have on Scale Up Your Business today, Brian Covey. Now, before I get into his introduction, let me just say there are people that I meet through this mad world of podcasting and media, which you just kind of connect with. You have similar values. Perhaps you've got similar backgrounds. Whatever it is, there's just a connection and it makes the conversation so much fun. Now, for those of you who know Scale Up Your Business and you know the conversations that I like to have, they're pretty free-flowing. They're not necessarily scripted, structured. I don't plan them that much in advance because... I kind of want them to be pretty real, right? So wherever the conversation goes is where it goes. And I like to listen and I like to be present so that I can try and get as much out of that chat as possible. So what you're going to love today about Brian is just how natural he is. And as I said, you know, some really interesting things that he's done. We're going to get into leadership, influence, branding, growing teams, uh, mental toughness, personal development, a little bit about building your network. And really, really interesting stuff that I know is going to be important to any of you who are trying to grow and scale your business. Now, Brian used to be an Olympic US US soccer player, and he got cut and had to learn how to bounce back. Um, Fitness has been a huge part of his life, you know, since then. He learned at an early age around the power of mental toughness, visualization, how to leverage energy and to accelerate versus stopping. And I think this is a really interesting because we touch on this, this importance of, you know, the things that sometimes stop you, which then drive you to be a great leader. Now, he is an executive currently at a business called Loan Depot. He describes himself as a proud father, actually a, uh, a fabulous soccer dad, <laughs> I think is the term. And he's also got a fantastic podcast himself with a book coming out around that podcast, which is called Conversations with Covey straight from the Brian Covey show. So there you have it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's a fun one. You know, as I said, really good connection, really good stuff, and lots of takeaways that you can put into action. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Brian Covey. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business for another week. I am delighted to have on to the show today, Mr. Brian Covey. Hello, Brian. How are you? Hey, good morning, Nick. Glad to be here, man. Okay, we're going to get into a whole heap of things, but you're an ex-professional athlete. We've just talked about our love of CrossFit. Um, You are an expert in leadership, influence, branding, mental toughness, personal development, and growing teams. And we're going to talk about a few of those today, but specifically growing teams. How do you scale your business through people? So I'm delighted to have you on the show. Me too, man. This is one I love these topics, right? Because you end up, as you share, you learn. And we get to add value to folks out there that maybe going through the same situations we've gone through. Exactly. And I love your podcast. The, um, the Brian Covey podcast is amazing. You've got a book coming out as well, Brian. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it just came out two months ago. And I'll tell you what, I've been blown away. Um, the feedback and the support has been incredible. First book that I've ever done. Always wanted to do it and just blown away by the support. So maybe there'll be a second. Well, it takes a while to get over to the pond. So it's probably in the shipping container now before it gets here. But actually, I've got a book coming out in about two months' time. I'm doing proofreading at the moment. And uh, it's a it's a baptism of fire or it's a, 
<laughs> something like that, isn't it? But it's very rewarding going through it. Well, let's let's kick off. Um, so let's talk about your background in sport first before we kind of get into the the scaling through people piece. So you were once an Olympic US soccer player. Crazy, I know. I get, to, I get to the story. It seems like <laughs> you look fit now, mate. So I'm not surprised by this at all. But oh. just take us through that. Take us through kind of, you know, go back a few years now when you were when you were an elite sports person, and then we'll bring that into business as well. Yeah, so it goes back all the way to I was the younger brother. Uh, I had just one older sibling, and he was five years older. So I started as a very young kid, just traveling around, following him on the soccer field. Well, as I continued to play, I fell in love with two sports: basketball and soccer. I realized very quickly. Basketball probably wasn't going to be my thing. I wasn't going to be right. I was right under six feet. So that, that probably wasn't going to work out. I fell in love with the sport of soccer. You know, many of us call football. And yeah. round 12, we have what we call the Olympic development program. So I made our state team. Then I went on to make this regional team. And then I had the fortunate opportunity when I was 14 to get called up to what we call the Olympic development team, which is basically you see in the Olympics and the U.S. team. They typically will take teenagers and all. So I got called up, got to go to several camps. As I got called back again, I made the pool. And so we were going that year to Japan. I didn't make the final team, unfortunately, um, to go. But I was one of the pool players of 40. And I'll tell you, I learned so much through that, Nick, being around people all across the United States. And they were the best of the best. And I learned at that point, I was good, but I wasn't great, right? And there was another level that some players were at. Uh, and so you kind of have to learn like life, that there's some things that are going well. There's some things I do well. There's always areas that I can improve. and I look back to that. That was a, um, a catalyst that probably fuels a lot of my determination, commitment, and drive today. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what are the key things you learned from that experience? Because a lot of people dream of becoming a professional athlete. They, they think that's going to be their career. And then they, they either achieve it or they don't achieve it. It's kind of black and white. right? But what, what did you learn through that whole process of, of being you know, at that level? Great question. So one thing I've, I've kind of clung to is, um, and it's a tagline I'm using now, is empowered by failure. And what I learned through sports was, Many times you're going to be injured, right? Things are going to happen. You're going to get injured in the field. Things are not going to go the way that you want, right? So in, in sports, especially soccer, you may turn the ball over. You may get scored on. You may make a bad play. Um, the coach may be yelling at you about something. You may not even get in the game that day, but you're there. How can you find ways to contribute both on and off the field is, is something I took away was that it's not always on the field is what the coaches are looking for. They're looking for your leadership off the field, They're looking at how good of a teammate are you, are you able to network with other players? Do they like you? Because like it or not, on the field, if they like you and you're a good player, they're going to pass the ball to you. They're going to support you. They're going to encourage you. If they don't like you and you're a jerk, guess what? You will be ostracized. You will not be included on that team. And I saw some really talented players that didn't have the right attitude. They didn't recognize this was a team sport and it wasn't about them as an individual. And many times those players are not the ones that go on to continue their career, even in the professional ranks. So I'd say being a team player, understanding you're going to have to come over from setbacks and continue to come back and come back, and then just being a great teammate, right? That, that's going to play out in business later. And where did you learn that stuff? Because where, where, I mean, you're right. I mean, you see that in professional sports all the time. We have, as you call it, football over here, yeah. soccer there, whatever, same thing. Yeah. But you see these outstanding players like that are just jerks, <laughs> right? And they're kind of known to be that. But then teams can like literally fall apart you know, it by, by not having leadership all the way through the ranks. But what was the inspiration for you? Was it family? Was it you know, different experiences growing up? What was it? Yes. I love to share this part of my, my journey. My dad is a psychologist. And so cool. I was very fortunate that I had the mental side of the game, which I think is significant. I talk about that a lot is it's not just your 
actual physical attributes and your skills, but the mental toughness I learned at that age. And my dad would teach me like actually how to go and envision the game, right? And I would be doing visualization of what are the plays that are going to happen? Where can I see myself succeeding or mistakes I might make? And how am I going to respond to when those happen? Let's say my dad and then the Olympic team, they taught us not only nutrition, but also mental toughness, which I've taken on from there. But I was fortunate. My, my, my dad's a rock star and just um, very important and um, had a huge influence on my life. Let's talk about those those three three elements you just spoke about. Then you mentioned about vision, you know, belief, toughness, you know, because I know you went through a bit of a transition yourself into what you're doing now, career wise yeah. as well. But but how did you know back? I used to think it was in 2007, the market crash. You know, you lost your job. I, you know, I've had a I've had that happen to me multiple times, by the way. So we're, yeah. <laughs> we're in good company. <laughs> what did you do then around those those elements that you'd learned, obviously from your dad and whatever else, to be able to create the career that you have now? Oh, that's a great one. And that was tough. Um, for those who don't know, you, you probably can look back very quickly in history. 2007, 2008, I was in the mortgage industry, which I'm still in, and housing, and was over leveraged, probably like a lot of people. And we had our two um, kids that were both under two at that time. So we were just newborn parents. We're living in a different state. My wife and I really didn't have the family and friends and things around us that are there. And the market completely crashed. So the house that we bought was worth about 50% of what it was. And my job was eliminated and I was applying for other jobs within the company all over the place. Well, the reality is my skill sets weren't needed as much. They probably needed half the workforce. And so I looked up, I'm like, okay, I don't have this asset that I put. Everyone's told me, hey, you know, pay down your house. We can pay down your house to 50% and you still owe what it's worth. Not a good scenario. And I recognized very quickly, I didn't have the skills necessary to really get out in the marketplace and add value outside of my little niche that I'd been in. And it was a rude awakening because not only financially am I suffering, but as a father and as a dad and as a husband, I couldn't provide. And it was the first time in my career where I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm not prepared to go out. And if this were to happen again, I don't have the skills. And it was really a catalyst for me, I'll tell you, Nick, to go out, seek out a mentor, understand I didn't have some of the skills that I needed. And I'll share with you what those were. But it was almost that season that I recognized the biggest takeaway for me was it doesn't last forever, right? Like looking back on it now, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to us because it started me on this journey of personal development and seeking out people in my life, learning new skills. And some of those were my network and my people that I was surrounding myself with didn't think bigger than I did. And so what I recognized in that moment was I was kind of in this spot that I didn't know who to go to to ask for help. I had no one around me. They were all going through the same thing, going, woe is me. My job's eliminated too. So I had to level up. And who you surround yourself with matters so much. And I found a mentor, thank goodness, in that moment that was much more successful than me, obviously older than me, and said, Brian, here are the things you need to be doing right now. And one of those was get a mentor. Have someone in your life that's more successful, has been through these life experiences. And two was you need to be in an ongoing personal development type group and program and, and kind of people around you that have done what you want to do, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, people that want to actually teach you things. And the third was, I needed sales skills. I needed to learn how to network better, actual true sales skills of whether it's a product or service, how do I position myself so that I'm indispensable? So the company that I work for next could never think about getting rid of me. Or if I wanted to start my own company, I would have the skills and the mindset to do that. I say, those are the things that I learned. And and that was tough. I will tell you, Nick, that was not a, uh, as I look back, I'm fortunate that I, I survived that, but man, in, in that storm, it, it got messy. 
right? It doesn't feel great. <laughs> well, this feels uncertain, right? You know, and and one of the questions I'll ask you because I think it's a question that lots of people come and ask me, or they it comes up in my my community all the time is how do you find the right mentor? When you know, there's so many people out there who say they're mentors or whatever else. How did how did that happen for you? So I actually asked someone that was in our organization, and they obviously retained their job, but they had been through it. And what I recognized is I had never been through such a big downturn and like complete collapse. It happened so quickly. And so I just reached out and asked. And I will tell you, some of the best mentors I found, they have a heart that they want to give. That's something they've achieved levels of success and financial success and things that there's probably nothing I can give them other than um, satisfaction and fulfillment of they can help someone that's been in their shoes before. Because look, they failed before, just like you shared. Most of us think that these people that are successful today have just had this career path that did this, that just continue to go up. Well, the reality is it's, it's a lot of this and it continues to go up. And I just asked, and I'll tell you, I did this a little bit over a year ago, right before the pandemic. And it was a similar season, not same reasons, but I went out and just asked someone and said, look, I'm really, I'm fond of what you do. I respect your message. I respect the values. I think we have a lot of alignment. I would love to learn from you. I don't know what that looks like. Would you ever consider just taking five minutes? And I could ask you a couple of specific questions. They said, yes. They said, yes. So if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah, I like that. That's true, actually. And a lot of people kind of make up a story in their head that someone's going to, you know, be offended or something like that if you ask them because they're so busy with other things they've got on. But you're right. You know, if I think back when people ask me for help and part of the podcast is that, as I'm sure it's for you, you know, that's why we do it. It's huge. And what I would add to that too, Nick, is what I learned is be vulnerable in that moment and, and tell them the truth. Don't try to portray yourself as someone you're not. And so like this last mentor that I went to and I said, I'm looking to scale our business here. This is the, the issue I'm dealing with. And I was very vulnerable in the situation of this is what I'm dealing with. I'm not sure who to ask. I think you've probably been through that. I can kind of just follow in your story. And, and they, they reciprocated and gave me wonderful feedback. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Well, let's, let's jump into um, the main topic we're going to talk about today, which is leadership, influence, building teams, particularly building teams as you're going through scale up. Because if we go back to that point, obviously where, you know, you left your job in 2007 and then had to build something for yourself, I assume, actually, let's ask the question. Did you go into another job after the 2007 crash or did you go on that more entrepreneurial journey? So I did, I, I stayed with the same company, which was interesting at that time. And I had to move back to Tennessee, which was our home. So we were in Florida. And what I did, I continued to call and I thought I was going to leave. I explored other opportunities. I even looked at going into coaching, right, with soccer um, because I had that credentials and and licensing and all that. And so I explored a lot of things. But I found out my passion was really around building teams, but in the business and entrepreneurial space of taking what I learned in sports. My calling wasn't really to do that full time and and just obviously with kids to coach on the side. And I learned for me, that's where I still love the business side of things. Like it, it's a fun game. Great. Okay. So did you, so you work for yourself now? Loan Depot is your business? It's, it's not my company. No, we we just went public a couple of months ago. So I'm one yep. of the, um, the senior executives there. Great. Okay. Well, let's talk about that scale up journey and let's talk about kind of, as we said, the main thing around how do you, how do you really build that? So if a business is in startup, 
And so startup usually is defined by only having a few people, a handful. <laughs> so you might have eight, maybe maximum 10, something like that. And then all of a sudden, as you start to grow, you've got to bring more people into more process. That's the, the broad definition of it. Where do you start? So from your perspective, looking at that situation, how do you start to think about this, the sort of team you need, the sort of people, the values, the culture? So always, I go back to this and it's a, a Stephen Covey thing, but it's start with the end in mind. And I always envision, what what do I want this business or this team to look like five years, 10 years from now? And so when I think about what the end's going to look like, for many of us, scaling our business requires us to find other leaders that are on the team that haven't led a team as large as we're going to lead. And for for me, I recognize, you know, Nick, I'm going to lead a team that's probably going to be larger than a team I've ever led, which requires me to learn new skills that I probably haven't had before. Yeah. And it's the learning on the job that I think people get very uncomfortable with. So the first step I would start with is identify other leaders on your team. Because at some point, what's going to have to happen is you're going to need to empower and delegate out some of the roles and responsibilities that today in a smaller team of eight to 10, maybe it's three or four, those are things that you're in control of today. At some point to scale a business properly, you're going to need to say, okay, I'm going to have John over here. I'm going to have Amy over here take on these different roles and departments of the organization so that you can actually scale it. The second thing I would kind of go into is what are you really good at? And this is where I think a lot of entrepreneurs will struggle and leaders struggle is they still want to have their hand in everything. And they don't believe anyone can do the job as good as they can. And they die in this phase because they don't believe anyone else can do it. And so instead of allowing other people in the team, which we identified in phase one, to actually do their job and empower them, and we call it decentralized command in our world, instead of actually giving them the authority and the empowerment to make mistakes, to try new things, to be creative, to come up with new ideas, we stifle that. And so that's where it kind of stops. So I'll kind of pause there because I think a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs don't make it past those two stages. No, no. And I want to, I think it's a good place to kind of go a little bit deeper into the point of, let's say you haven't got that many people around you. So you're in that point where you're hiring the first, the first people who are going to take away, take away some of the stuff that you have been doing, right? So the the proper idea of leveraging. How, if you you don't trust others to do the job better, (laughs) how do you, how do you then go and find these people? Let's assume they're not in your team right now. You've got to go out there and run some form of process. How do you, how do you do that? How do you start that? So I got really clear on what I wanted to build. And I recognized for myself, you know, I've done all the disc profiles and all of the Myers-Briggs and um, Enneagrams. And I know myself really, really well, which I think is important for entrepreneurs because what I recognize is there's things that I'm really good at, but there's things I'm not good at. And I'm probably not going to be the person for myself, for example, if you get into the weeds and the details and the clerical, the administrative things there, that my, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm probably going to push that off. I'm not going to be good at it. The other things was I recognized I wasn't the most creative within my team. And so I needed people on my team that were more creative. I'm someone that moves fast. I know how to execute. I know how to get things done. I know how to collaborate and actually bring people in to make things happen. But I'm, I'm not these other roles. And so get clear on what are the roles you're looking for and then find the people with those. So I look at LinkedIn's a great place, right? I use social a lot for our team because what you'll find on social is you get an actual kind of DNA and profile of people. You can see what their skills are, start to engage online. I believe it's never been easier to find people. And look, in today's world, these people on your team can be remote. They don't always have to be sitting with you in your office. And I think that kind of is what we learned in 2020 
is remote workers and people on your team don't have to sit with you and you can have wonderful collaborations. Yeah. And also there's more people out there now who are looking for, let's call it fractional or freelance work, you know, because of some of them have lost jobs, which is terrible, but some of them have also just made that decision. They want more freedom and more control of their time and what they can do with that. So yeah, I agree with you. There's heaps of, there's heaps of fantastic talent out there now, but, but finally it's an interesting thing because I think there's, there's the traditional processes. There's kind of going out there and running a job ad on LinkedIn. There's going through your network. Um, there are, I've, I've heard some really great stories in the last 12 months where people are actually hiring, um, let's call it students or people who have come into, you know, their world in different ways. It could be suppliers. It could be even customers in different ways. And that's quite interesting in that, in that world as well. But, um, but what's, what's your, what's your favorite strategy? So if you, if you had to go and hire a senior person in your team right now today, what process or what approach would you adopt? That's a great question. So we, we've coined this setup with our group. It's called attractive leadership. And so there's this whole, if you imagine this whole umbrella that if you look at our social posting, we are very forward and we post our values, we post recognition, we post things about our team members. And so if someone were to be looking for our company or to stumble upon us, we actually have a lot of people that reach out to us directly, which again, that's an attractive leadership model that is more of a, a reactive is, is what I'd call it versus the other lane that we're very proactive. I go on to social and I look in my networks, you know, Nick, to your point, if I see you're doing something out there and someone's commenting on your social, I may find someone actually that's made a comment on social media there and I may reach out directly to them. And then I look at, there are groups and you've probably seen this on Facebook. There are groups that people have put together of like-minded individuals that may think like you do. They may have skill sets like you do. And I'm always looking to interconnect those because I believe my network that I've built, there is someone within that network. And so I will go into those groups and specifically ask for, hey guys, I'm looking for a creative director. I'm looking for someone that can lead us and actually help us with product development. Or I'm looking for someone that can help us do our business development and approach. We work with a lot of real estate agents, developers, builders. I'm looking for someone that has these skill sets. If we don't put that out there and put the ask, they're not probably going to walk in the door. Although we do have this attractive model that we've kind of built and it works for us. If we don't go out and ask. And so I would look at where are your networks today? Who do you know today? And I think of it this way, you Nick, we're one person away from that huge hire that could change our business or that huge client that could change our business. But if we don't go out and proactively ask, it won't happen. So we got to be active on social and we got to be engaging there. I'll share with you a quick story. So we, we've just brought in someone who's going to head up one of our businesses, one of our companies, and we found them on Clubhouse. Yeah. And Clubhouse is quite intimate, particularly from the on the mod side of Clubhouse. You're up on stage a lot talking to people. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the back channels. Yeah. And uh, and we met someone who was pretty active in the same rooms and same stages as I was. And we've just done a collaboration with them to come in and said, run one of our businesses. So yeah, just to, just to kind of you know highlight your point, it does work, particularly when you start to leverage those things and you start to learn where there is that alignment between values, between you know capability, et cetera, et cetera. It's huge. Don't you think yeah, I've gone on Clubhouse several times. And what's interesting to me, if you go in with that intention to connect, I always try to find three people. That was always my goal. If I'm going to spend time on Clubhouse, for example, I'm going to connect with three people offline after that session to build a relationship. Why not? Yeah. And exactly, exactly. And that's what it's that's what it's perfect for. So let's go, let's go up a little bit further. So as you're starting to build more of a team. And things are starting to become a bit more complex, let's say, because obviously more people, more conversations, more things going on. How, how do you start to structure 
um, you know, your teams so that they can become effective, particularly if you're getting into that tens of people now. So not the hundreds yet. <laughs> We're still in the tens, yeah. but, but certainly more than having just a handful. Yeah, I think it's important that everybody at that stage, I believe they still want their voice heard, right? Whether they have a leadership title or not. I think what's important is that early stage is the creativity is really what's going to kind of fuel that organic growth. And you want everybody to feel like they've got a voice. What I'm looking for in that stage is who are the leaders that are going to step up and take different roles? Because you don't really know at this point, who is that diamond in the rough? And that's what I'm always paying attention to is who maybe hasn't been in a leadership role, but as you sit in those kind of collaborative meetings, I think it's important to bring the team together and you're talking about strategy, you're talking about execution, about where you are in the business. And it's, it's usually one of two things. The problem of businesses to grow in this stage is either you don't have enough clients, right? Don't have enough sales. Things aren't moving there. So find someone that can help you with sales because that's important. If you can't scale and sell your product or actually have more customers coming in the door or retain them, sales will be a problem later. And you want to recognize that early. The second one could be, you know, is your product and service actually delivering the customer experience? And so I look at those two as you got sales and customer experience and both matter. I'm looking for someone early that can help make sure that we're fulfilling our promise that we've delivered or committed to, right? Whether it's a product or service, what is the customer experience? Because you know this, that organic growth most likely from your business is going to come from customers that already used your product or service. They love you and they're going to tell other people. And so I'm looking for those two roles to emerge. They don't have to have a title. They don't have to have anything other than I'm going to empower them to help us navigate that stage of growth with us. So for me, those are the two roles I'm looking for because we get those right. We can scale this thing. Got it. And in terms of, in terms of the, cause you would use the word empowerment there for a second as a leader, how do you do that? How, how do you, how do you sort of, and the question's a bit, a little bit loaded here, right? It's kind of how, how do you work enough on yourself to be comfortable, to be out of trust? So I think you just nailed it. The leaders that empower others, you're going to find that they're okay with themselves and they're okay with delegating and giving that power or authority out because they recognize the leader is the one that people are going to trust to make the really critical, tough decisions. And when everything falls apart, it's on them, 100%. For us to grow and scale, we need to find out, and it's a way to test people. And look, it's very much like sports. For a coach to know if that player is ready, the only way to really determine that is to put them in the game. And so I always tell everybody, I'm going to put you in the game. Here's a project I want you to head up and lead. It seems like you've had some interest. You've had some passion. I think you have the skills around this. Will you lead this small project for us, right? I want you to take it on. What do you think we should do next? And you'll find out because what we're trying to do is get them to think critically, to show leadership attributes with the team. And what's interesting is I've noticed once you empower them and they get in that situation, they are going to rise up. And whether they get it exactly right or some things don't go exactly as you would have done, you're going to see where they're strong and where they still need to develop themselves. And then it starts that feedback loop of we can give them feedback on the job. Because how many times, and you can probably see this, as we start to build a team, how are you going to give someone feedback if you don't actually see them in performance? How are you going to help them go to the next level if you don't allow them to test themselves and get out of their comfort zone? So for me, I'm always trying to find little projects here and there with our team of, hey, will you lead this for us? I believe you can do this. You've got expertise. I've seen you do it. I'm going to have you take charge of this. And look, people will then start to go, well, well, I want to be like Nick. Nick got to lead that project. Hey, Brian, I want to lead this project. And you start to then create this collaborative environment, which is, I believe it's the new way. There's no authoritative um, commanding leadership to me that generates and stimulates creativity and growth. 
Every time you're speaking, I'm just thinking of you back in your professional sporting days. Because <laughs> I, 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 let's go into this a bit and then we can dive around. I, I sometimes think the world of sport doesn't really matter what game it is. I talk about basketball as, as much as I talk about football, actually. Um, you know, slightly different in terms of um, the, you've got offense and defense playing in the same in the same person in basketball. It changes around a little bit in, in soccer and football. But I think that the, 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 the paradigms that come from sport, if you like, or the simplicity that comes from sport is often not portrayed as seamlessly in the world of business. And what I mean by that, just to sort of unpack that, is you might have, let's say, for example, you've got a great striker. They might be the best player on the team, but they're not necessarily the captain, right? right? They're not asked to lead the team necessarily, but they might be, you know, important, pivotal, in fact, to win a game. But in business, quite often, the best player, the best salesperson or whatever else gets promoted to then lead the team. And quite often you see that doesn't work. So what are your thoughts around that? Because why is it so obvious in sport, but not as obvious in the world of business? So the industry I'm in with the mortgage industry and real estate, this actually happens a lot. This is how I yeah. came up in, in my 20 years is, we actually were talking about this the other day, is, is, is why is that? Why, why is it we promote the best salesperson? And you're pointing, those people are not always the best leaders. They don't always have the team in mind. They're typically great individuals. So I think as a business owner or leader, you have this dichotomy of you need to support that individual that is your best striker or they are your best salesperson, but their promotional cycle and their growth is not always to take on and lead other people. That, that is not the career path. I think we all fall into that trap too easily is maybe their role is to be the best salesperson and maybe they could teach others and still be a salesperson. So what we've done is we've had some people and I said, look, you're, you're clearly our best salesperson. Like your sales results go up and up. I would love for you to teach others how to do that, but I don't want to put you in a leadership role because that would pull you out of your sweet spot. And if you're honest with them and you really, on one hand, you're praising what they do well and you say, I don't want to pull you out of what you do well, because then you would actually lose out on some of the success you're experiencing. I think you wouldn't be as fulfilled. I think if we're honest with people about that, and as we create leaders and we're intentional about leaders on the team, typically you're going to be the ones that are selfless. They're going to be the ones that put others before themselves they're going to have a drive and a real awareness of the team and themselves. And so I'm looking for those individuals and we're very clear on within our organization, this is what I'm looking for as far as leaders. So if you want to go down this path, this is what I'm looking for. And so show me that that's what you're interested in and we align up and then that can be a career path for you. And I'll tell you, we, we've really backed away because gosh, we've done it wrong so many times of you promote that salesperson and you realize oh, wow, I took them not only out of their sweet spot and what they were great at, but now I've completely created this cancer within the team that you could completely undo all of the great work that you've done. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> I've done that too. That's why it's quite, and it's funny because, I mean, I, I, I was promoted in my, my sort of corporate career as having relatively a strong leadership qualities, but also a bias towards enjoying leadership. Um, then I wasn't so great later on, <laughs> which is an interesting thing. So it was a bit of a wave as I was progressing when I was motivated towards that area. When I got to the top to be a CEO of a few companies I was running, I realized that actually the managing of people wasn't my superpower and I had to have people come in there and do that. That was an interesting learning. So my question around that is, it, it's a bit of a basic one, but are leaders, leaders born or made or is it a combination? So I think there's definitely some traits when you're born that stick with you, right? Because if you just watch people today, I think they're there but more, I would go the 80-20. I think they are made. And I just look at the yeah. environment people are in. I look at myself and, and those around me. Um, I do think that you're born with certain things, right? And 
whether we like it or not, there's certain charisma and certain things of like how people um, are actually born. And, and I think there are some DNA things that are there. Obviously, my dad being a psychologist, there are some things programmed, but I do think it's much less. And so I, I, I've seen people so intentional about how they grow themselves and learn that are phenomenal leaders. And, you know, Nick, you mentioned one just then. I've recognized throughout my journey, I have changed and evolved, which validates that leaders are made because I was a different, I was a better leader in certain areas five, 10 years ago than today. I recognize my sweet spot and it's not what it was. So that tells me and validates mm -hmm. leaders can be made throughout the process and, and evolution there. Yeah. And, you, and, you, and you've got to be comfortable and think not hanging on to that as well. So like, you know, the one thing I was challenging for me for a while when I was working in the sort of private equity thing was, you know, I, I used to be this, this person who was more of a manager, let's call it that. I had, I had big teams. I had 350 people at most when I was actually a, let's say a divisional manager leader. But then when I became a CEO, I realized that actually, if I kept doing that, if I kept trying to sort of manage everybody in that way, I wasn't looking externally enough. I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture, but that transition as much as the, it was a natural transition into that more visionary leadership role, it was a difficult understanding to then sort of say, well, hold on, how come I'm not now running everything, <laughs> right? And I think I just want to draw a line under that for people listening because a lot of people are kind of struggling with that, particularly if they're going from being an employee. They might have been a senior employee in a corporate job and now they're starting their own business and that, that transition can be quite challenging for a lot of people, I feel. Yeah, we see it quite a bit, you know, and that's where... That evolution, I believe that's why we're always learning and growing because who we are today, if we're going to lead a team or we're going to do something bigger in five or 10 years, we've got to grow into that person. And so being intentional about our growth is everything. Cool. Okay. Well, last question on, on in terms of leadership, and then I want to go somewhere else. Um, we talked a little bit about values and culture or touched on it. At what point as you build a team, do you start to focus on values and culture? I think for us, we, we started right away. And so we knew, I know what my values are. And then corporately, we, we had kind of talked about that. The company is only 11 years old. So we, we, we had some of those that were already ingrained. I do think whether you're an entrepreneur or entrepreneur, how big your team gets, there are some values that need to be discussed early on. You know, and for, and for us, you know, one of those was the entrepreneurial spirit. We talk about creativity and innovation being something that, that we're good with. And then character is there. Teamwork is one that we talk about, obviously, for my sports days. I think it's early on. The earlier you can start to ingrain those, and it doesn't mean some of those might evolve and change, but I do think for many, whether you're an entrepreneur into your company, you know what you're creating. That was kind of your brainchild and what's there. It might deviate just a little as you have the team grow and you start to expand, but I, I like to know our values when we start. But as everyone joins your team, the most important thing I've found is to share those values, bring them on that journey with you and to share them clearly and honestly and often. Do you have a process for determining values? So we actually sat down with our group and so we're kind of a team within a team, right? So there's several thousand people within the greater company, but our team is a smaller unit as we kind of call it. And so we sat down and went through ours together as a group and the leaders, I've got 13 leaders that directly um, are kind of in my charge that I take care of. And so we just talked about that together and just making sure that they're relevant. And we do revisit those to make sure, are, are those who we are? Is this, is this feel right? And you know, what's interesting is new people join, you, you might have some growth or opportunity to look at one of those and go, guys, we're going to add this one or we're going to replace this one. And here's why I want them to feel like there's this ownership to what we're doing. And for many people, that's, again, that's might be where they struggle as I've learned 
the more I can kind of uh, direct the process, but let people have their voice and, and their input heard and felt, that's when they feel ownership in this. And they feel ownership. And that's what you want in your company. Because if you're the only one that feels ownership, people can leave you. Your company's not, they're not really thinking about it as much as you are, which is, is typically the case when you're the owner, but you want people to be bought in. And so that's one of the processes that we love that. And we're not meeting as much in person, but still the meetings over video. We talk about these things and I try to connect up what we're doing in the season. Like right now we're in a big season of growth. And we talk about this with our team. Growth is one of our core values. We love to grow. Well, we talk about that right now. And I try to Very tie good. it back to why we're doing what we're doing. And what's the most important value for you in terms of leadership? I like to character. Um, and some people say integrity, but I think if you do what you say you're going to do, people can trust that what you say is truthful. They can trust that you're someone they can count on when they need you to be there, that you're going to be honest. I think that's a non-negotiable for me. And so I go back to that because without that trust, without that integrity, without that character, you may be the best salesperson in the world. You may be able to create massive amounts of revenue, but if people can't trust you and what you say isn't true and you can't be counted on, at some point it's going to crash and burn. Yeah, I love that. And absolutely true. And there's a point where if you don't believe it and feel it as well, you're going to sabotage it yourself. I've seen that happen many a time as well. All righty, let's, let's talk a little bit about a couple of things you mentioned. Um, you, you mentioned personal development and, and a commitment to personal development earlier in our conversation. What does that mean to you right now? So we say this on our team. I believe language matters quite a bit. And training isn't something that we've done in the past. A lot of us think about, well, I, I trained yesterday. Well, it's just much like we talked about working out. Guess what? We work out every day. And training and development for me is an ongoing process that we commit to. We train every day, whether it's five minutes or it's five hours, right? Whatever is required, whatever we need to do, training is an ongoing piece. And for personal development, we need to be intentional about what it is that we're learning and why we're learning it, right? In the season I'm in and the growth that we're trying to achieve as a team, what's my role and what do I need to be learning? You know, one of those for me right now, I'll just kind of open up with the group is that I'm learning how to speak on stages because we present in front of large real estate companies, developers and all that. And so I need to get better at my presentation skills of if we're going to have an opportunity and I'm the one that's going to be presenting there, how do I get better at that? Well, one way is to join podcasts. Another way is to get on stages and actually speak. And I've found that that is something that when you're intentional about your growth and you continually do this, it's again, it's much like a muscle in working out. We need to do this every day. It doesn't just happen in the past. Yeah, no, that's very, very cool. Okay. And, and, and yourself personally, in terms of for your mindset, for your toughness, we talked a little bit about visualization. Do you have a daily practice or something you do weekly in terms of your own habits, which helps your own ability to be able to lead effectively? Yeah, so I have a rhythm and a routine that kind of works for me. And so when I wake up in the morning, I do slow down and sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it'll be 15 minutes and I'm just slowing down with no noise at first. And then I go in, I have a couple of devotionals and thing that you know, my faith is really important to me. So I'll slow down and I'll read something just really small, right? And just try to digest one thought. I'm not a huge reader in the sense of, I don't get up and try to read a whole chapter or try to take something. I learned from me bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. I love my morning workouts. You know, and right now, obviously overcoming an injury, um, I've had to adapt quite a bit. I love something that's going to test us mentally and physically early in the day for a couple of reasons. One, when you're tested, you're going to find out when you overcome it, great. When you're tested and you don't overcome it, it kind of puts you in a position that you have to realize, okay, why, why didn't I? Was I not prepared mentally when I came in? It's a self-assessment either way. 
So I like to be tested because I do believe this connection between our mental, mental and physical side of our bodies and how they're interwoven matters. And so that physical fitness is great for me. And then I spend some time with my family. We've got three kids. Before they go to school, I want, I want some quality time, right? To see them before they go. And I've had my day planned. So it kind of backs up the night before. I've looked at my schedule. So when I walk in, I don't worry about what's on my schedule at this point in the day, right? So in the morning, everything is already set. My schedule is very routine. I've got meetings scheduled that I need to have. And I have some blocks of time that I'm making outbound calls. I'm following up on things, whether it be social or I'm checking in on our team, doing recognition. So I leave little windows of opportunity that are there. And then obviously when the day is done, I have learned whether you're an entrepreneur or entrepreneur and you've got your business, I do try to shut it off at some point. And I've got all of my family and kids sports right now are very busy. Those are scheduled at night. And I try to be there and be present with them. And look, sometimes, Nick, I shared this the other day. I didn't get my workout in in the morning, but I went to my daughter's soccer practice at six o'clock and I just walked. I did my fitness, lunges, air squats, all of that during her session because she doesn't need me to watch her training session. And so you can, in a way, kind of integrate things. That yeah, you- I love it. I love, and, and yeah, other, other than all of her friends looking at you going, what's, what's your dad doing? He's like doing burpees. On the- <laughs> and they will. And you know what's okay with that? They're the same folks that probably are, if you're a high performer, someone wants to achieve a lot, you're going to have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. So guess what? Exactly. That's going to help you get over your own ego. Yeah. And not worry about what people think about it either. Yeah. Precisely. And what, what, what's your, what, when does your day start? Are you an early riser? So I am typically, I'm not the huge early riser. So I'm usually around five or five 30. I like to get up. That's, that's kind of my rhythm um, and my routine that I can get up. It's before everyone else has gotten up. And I like that. That for me is um, it's not too early. And I realize I'm still able to hold a high level of energy through the day. Any earlier I did find for me, it was, it was kind of uh, a little setback in the afternoon. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I, I get up around the same time as you. I like to, I like to have a good hour or so before people get up. <laughs> <laughs> little people get up. But then the other thing also is I find I like to just make sure everything is set. And then I spend some time with them. I always take my kids to school and then I normally train after that. So I don't, I don't actually start doing any, what I'd call work work until the afternoon. So the mornings are actually pretty clear for me, but I find that um, I like to have a good few hours to kind of do stuff that's important for my energy levels, my mindset, those sort of things. You know what I've learned too? And I don't know if, if you're the same way as I've learned through last year with some of the, the lockdown and some of that, and then with my injury and, and business shifting and all this, is I had to be very adaptable and flexible is my routine did change. And so I picked basically three times that I could work out. It's either the morning or it's that lunch, or then it would be later in the day. And I gave myself a little bit of permission for a while. I was, I was too strict, right? And it was almost like I missed it. I'd beat myself up. I'd go through the cycle and I realized, hey, Brian, it's okay. Take your kids to school in the morning. Go work out on your lunch break. It's not like you need an hour to eat. Go put a 30-minute session in. You can have 30 minutes for lunch. Relax. Don't be on the phone there. And so I think giving ourselves permission for what works, but in each season, to your point, you know, I love what you're doing because that's what works for you. Commit to that and then be adaptable to make sure as long as I'm getting the things done that I know are priorities, at the end of the day, I feel, I feel good about what we've accomplished. Yeah. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people kind of, they'll read a book on routines and habits and they think that it has to be prescriptive. Right? Yeah. If I miss it, then all of a sudden I've failed or whatever else. And this idea of, you know, self promises and all that. I, I found particularly over the last 12 months, I've given myself permission to sleep a lot more. 
Like, you know, I don't, I don't rise with an alarm. I just kind of wake up when I choose to. And I quite enjoy that actually, because beforehand it was, it was too rigid, but these days I'm sort of just relaxed about, it. I get a bit early, you know, I wake up early, it's all good, you know, and it's much more, um, feels much more relaxed for me overall. So yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. Good fun. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, just to finish up, let's talk about the Brian Covey show, your yeah. amazing podcast and the book, because we spoke about this when I was on your show briefly, but is the book, it's conversations with Covey. But is that in relation to the podcast? Have you joined those up? It is. So, you know, you have these ideas and and, and I'll call this one, one of those ideas that came out of the air and you're thinking about what would I want to envision? What would I want my first book to be? I had such a blast with our first season started in early 2020 and we had these amazing guests on. And what I started to realize was the feedback I was receiving was, wow, we love these guests. We don't always get to listen to these episodes. And so people just gave me feedback about their favorite guests. And I thought, well, what if I put those guests into like a mini book. And it was almost like a TED talk or a mini talk that you could just read and it was digestible. So they could read your chapter or they could read five chapters, right? And they could go in. We selected the 10, what the audience and and our listeners said were their favorite and they gave us the most feedback on. We took their chapters and we actually broke it down into, most of them had some level of adversity they overcame. They went through actionable items. They have a skill or expertise that we wanted to highlight that you could learn from. And it's everything from coaching to a former NFL player to speakers on big stages to financial planners. You've got everybody in this book. And then what I did at the end that I thought was kind of unique is I gave my input on what I learned and applied from that time with the guest. And so imagine if you went to a conference, you got to hear 10 of the best speakers and you all got all of that in one. That's what the book basically became. So it's a little bit of hope, inspiration, motivation, but then some tactics And then I gave you real life application of here's what I went and did. Here's what I learned from this guest. You could do the same thing. And it turned out it's pretty cool. I've gone back to it and I'm proud of of what we we came up with. Okay. Last couple of questions then. So on that, out of all those amazing conversations you've had from the podcast and now in the book, is there one standout? I know it's difficult. I don't want you to uh, fudge this, by the way. (laughs) I can't answer the question because they're all great. You've got to go. It doesn't have to be the person. It might be one insight that just really, when it hit you at that point in time through that conversation, that you went, oh my God, that's just wow. I'll give you two um, because I think these continue to resonate with me. One is that you're one person or one connection, one conversation away from completely changing your mindset in your life. Hmm. Each one of those guests left me with something of their journey and their experience that I could not have learned or experienced unless I'd had a conversation with them. And so that's kind of where the the name came from. And two, I would recognize, we talk about empathy and things, that a lot of the struggles or things you may be going through, other people have been through and your story may connect with their story in a lot of ways that you may not even realize And the more you get comfortable in your own skin and can share your story, the more you will actually connect and build relationships authentically with other people. And so to be okay with your flaws and your successes and all of that is what makes up who you are. And we're a lot more connected than we're not. And and I left with that thinking, well, all of these successful people we brought on, there's a lot of my story in their story. There's a lot of their story in my story. And the more we connect up with people, the more we learn and the more we grow. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And, and it is in many cases, the gifts that I've found from podcasting too, the friendships, the collaborations, business partnerships, whatever that have come. In fact, really strange serendipity 
you know, between everyone seems to have had to go through a struggle of some description, some, some deeper than others, but, you know, and then they've, they've found a way out. And then from that, they, they realize they, that personal growth is a key to, to a lot of things as is giving back. You know, what was amazing to me is how those guests, one would say yes, but then how they connect you with, let's say it's four or five people or 10 people. And then your network starts to expand at a level exponentially that you never could have done on your own. So recognizing that we need each other was, was something that, you know, really has stuck with me and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. All right. So last question, where can people find you, Brian? Oh, so you know, what's really cool. This is good timing. We are about to release my revamped website. So it's going to be www.briancovey.com. Super excited. This has been one of those projects we've been working on. So that'll be up and live. You can find everything about the book and the podcast and social. I'm pretty active on Instagram. So it's the Brian Covey. And if you find me there or on LinkedIn, I spend a lot of time on those two platforms engaging and, and would love to be connected up with you as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's been an absolute delight having you on Scale Up Your Business finally. And um, thank you so much for sharing all those insights, all those pearls of wisdom today. It's been fantastic. So thank you. Hey, thank you. I love what you're doing. And I, I know listeners will find a lot of value in everything that you're doing. Over. So thank you. It's been an honor having you on my show. was a lot of fun. So to reciprocate that, it's always fun. Awesome. Thank you, man. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.